0: Well good morning everybody. Hope you are doing well. It's amazing. I said this on Friday night and I was talking about living hope. Now I'm over here singing uh, in my head um, Rescuer and the, the line in that that says hearts that know mercy cannot stay silent. Um, I can't help but think about you know where would I be if not for Christ this morning? and probably sleeping in uh, I mean, God only knows where I would be, and God only knows where all of you would be if not for His loving mercy and hearts that know that mercy man we can 't we can 't just come here and do church and then stay silent about this stuff. We need to get excited. I mean, we have a brother in Christ uh, who is a brother and sister in Christ and their family taking the gospel to unreached people groups and we get to be a part of that and partnering with them and that is just such an amazing thing. Um, I get to be up here, preach the word of God, sing with all of you about the goodness of our God um, and, and pray with you all and then send a brother in Christ across the world to preach the gospel. Like, what more could somebody ask for in life? And so I'm just feeling uh, a heart of gratitude this morning. Um, We are going to be in Colossians chapter 1. We are starting a new sermon series, and uh, I will be preaching a sermon entitled A Reason to be Thankful. What I'm going to do is I will read the first 12 verses of Colossians chapter 1. You can follow along in your own Bible. You can follow along the screen. I'll read, pray real quick, and then we'll jump right into the message this morning. So Colossians chapter 1, the letter begins like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope and the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learn this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. And for this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we are so grateful to be here. And Father, as we look at the beginning, the opening of this letter from Paul to the church in Colossae and and just see his overwhelming sense of gratitude for this this church, I pray, Lord, that we would look inward in our own lives and examine uh, our own spiritual growth. Lord, that we would see the gratitude that Paul has for the church that's growing and thriving and being impacted by the gospel and that we would be in turn grateful for the impact of the gospel in our lives and in our area and in our community. So Father, we just give these next few moments to you. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through me, convict those that need to be changed and challenged this morning and I pray that we would be better, uh, better people because of it in Jesus' name, amen. So the main passage that I'll be preaching from is really verses 3 through 12, but I think anytime you read an epistle, you should most likely, or or, or you should uh, try to get a little bit of background as to why the letter was being written, um, just like you would receive a letter from someone, you would hope that you would understand the context to which it was written. Um, it's, it's good to understand uh, the the spiritual condition of the church in Colossae and, and where Paul was and why he was writing. And so I just want to do that very quickly before we jump in. The religious environment in the first century was not much different than how it is Today, see, it was a time of a lot of, uh, for lack of a better term, religious mixing, um, with people borrowing a little bit from, you know, this religion and this philosophical belief system and borrowing a little bit from this. And if you think about it, in our culture today, that's pretty much how it is all around us. It's not even necessarily, sadly, it's made its way into some evangelical churches even, where, yes, we have the gospel, but we also take from this philosophical idea and try to add it to whatever it is that we're doing here. But even on an individual basis, a lot of us, uh, a lot of us know people in even our culture around here, in Lower Borough, and the surrounding areas, of people who just kind of adopt different practices, maybe from, well, how the, the, the evangelical Christians do things, but also, you know, some of the meditative practices of Buddhism. Um, maybe there's some uh, uh, inward... Uh, uh, I don't know, I don't know how, to, how to word this, but you kind of look inward and try to find inner peace like the Hindus do, and you're kind of just borrowing from this, that, and the other, and then, bam, you kind of have your own religion that you're living off of. And so this letter, written by Paul... While he was in prison in Rome is a letter that argues and addresses a couple of things, mainly one being the preeminence of Christ in response to some false teachings that were trying to be pushed or infiltrated into this particular congregation that has believed the gospel. And so Paul, at the very start of this letter, establishes himself as an apostle. Now, he note, he doesn't say, Paul, well, what he does say is Paul, an apostle, of or belonging to Christ Jesus by God's will. So this is not Paul saying, I'm an apostle by my own making. This is, no, I have been sent forth by God's will. I belong to Christ. And so you might be thinking, why does any of that matter to this letter? Well, Paul was establishing himself as an authority figure at the very beginning of this letter over this church in the face of whatever false gospel or heretical teaching that was Being presented to this group of believers. You see, it it makes sense for Paul to do this because here's a man sitting in prison. He's never seen these individuals in Colossae before. We get that idea from later in this letter, and he reminds them of the authority he has in Christ by God's will to remind them that, hey, the things I'm about to address in this letter are not coming from me, Paul. They are coming ultimately from God. I think it's amazing, honestly, what we can learn from Paul and the Colossian church uh, in just the introductory remarks of this letter. We'll see this morning that Paul then is going to offer a prayer of thanksgiving And this prayer serves as a bridge to one of the more significant aspects or topics of this letter. That's what we're gonna be learning about next week, which I'm very excited about. But for now, what I wanna do is camp out in this introductory prayer of thanksgiving for the Colossian church. And I wanna draw out three reasons uh, for Paul's prayer of gratitude for this body of believers. We will draw out some applications uh, and things like that as we go along. So the three aspects of Paul's prayer that I would like to highlight will be the fill in the blanks if you're taking notes this morning. So point number one is this. Paul was thankful for their faith in Christ, love for all the saints, and hope in eternity. Paul was thankful for their faith in Christ, love for all the saints, and hope in eternity. In eternity, we're going to be looking at verses three through five, uh, the first half of verse five. I know they'll be on the screen, but I'm just going to kind of skip over rereading them since we just did. We'll kind of go through them as we, as we talk about it here. Um, but I love that for a church that we know very little about from the Bible itself, we can still learn a good bit about their history by simply reading the first part of Paul's letter, his prayer for them. Now, he could have easily opened this letter by saying, hi, it's Paul and Timothy, I'm in prison, and I just want to remind you of a couple of things. Funny enough, yesterday, uh, Pastor Fred, he was kind of, uh, whenever we were doing the new members class, he was giving a, hist- a historical account of Redemption Church. Just uh, uh, fact-by-fact, moment-by-moment, step-by-step on how Redemption Church came to be what it is today. And he just kind of did that by walking through a timeline of sorts. And Paul could have very easily done it that way, and yet what we see here, Paul does this in prayer form. And I love that because when we're reading these words, it's not just this recall of their history in order for Paul to fill in some blank space that he had on his paper. These are incredible things that Paul is praying for here, and I want to I wanna draw out some things from it. So in verse 3, Paul says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Now, why is that significant? Because that's not always the case when Paul writes letters to, ch- to other churches. See, I can. Uh, I, there's there's a couple of examples, but I'll, I'll I'll point to one. If you read the letter uh, by Paul to the Galatian church specifically, he doesn't open his letter with a prayer of thanksgiving for this church because they were messing up big time. And so rather than this long, drawn-out prayer of thanksgiving for this church, I'm sure he's thankful for them to a point, but he has some things he needs to address. So it goes something like this, hi, it's Paul to the church in Galatia, who, by the way, was bought by Christ to rescue us from the evil age, and then boom, hey, we need to address some stuff, because you're screwing it up. But here's the thing. You can can learn so much about each Pauline epistle, really, just by looking at the introductions. It's almost like, it's almost setting up what that particular letter will address. But nonetheless, we can clearly see that Paul here is thankful for this congregation. And it's because he's received report that they've been making very good progress in the faith. They haven't fallen or made any massive mistakes yet. The gospel is thriving. They're thriving, spiritually speaking, for all the right reasons. So what's the first reason why Paul is thankful for this church? Well, their faith. They've placed their faith in Jesus Christ He's grateful for their like-minded faith. Their faith is where his faith lies, and none other than Jesus. But he also highlights their love because Paul is so enthusiastic about this church's faith because it is sincerely being, and authentically, being demonstrated by their love. And not just any type of love like this... uh, It's not just like a a general love, how we might think of it. This is a true Christian love for a specific group of people, the church. He says, your love for all the saints. So I want to pause here, and I want to say this, and you may have heard us say this a couple of times before, uh, but you can't be for God and against the church. It's impossible. See, someone might say, yeah, well, of course I love God. A believer might even say this. Of course, I love God. Yeah, but I don't have any use for the church. They've hurt me. They're a bunch of hypocrites. They're no good. They're a bunch of holy rollers. You fill in the blank, whatever it is. I love God or I love Jesus, but yeah, I have no use for his church, but ex- well, excuse me for a second or don't. I don't really care. I'm gonna say it anyway because I'm preaching. But that's not how God operates. And Why? Because he sent his son, his one and only son, to die in order to establish his church. See, Pastor Greg stated yesterday at the new members class as well, the single most valuable transaction in human history was Jesus' blood for his church. And so it seems then, with that in mind, that the church is extremely important to God. This is why we are called to go and make disciples, to help God build his church. You could argue that the church is one of the most important things to God. He is building and gathering his church for himself and for his glory. So you cannot say I'm for God, but I'm against the church. Because if you truly love God, you will truly love the thing that he created through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. In Galatians chapter six, verse 10, the apostle Paul says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. That's the church. You see, Paul is saying to the church in Galatia here in chapter 6, verse 10, he says, listen, love everybody. Do good to all people. Listen, if if for anything else, when you have an opportunity, love others because uh, whether they're a believer or not, simply to demonstrate the love of God to all people, but especially let your love be demonstrated to the church. Why? Because those are your brothers and sisters in Christ. We ought to have a special love for the church. So he thanks God for their faith and their love for all the saints, but Paul also thanks them because of their hope. This is the hope we were just singing about. He's grateful toward the Colossian believers because of their hope, because of their future. Understand that when we see the word hope in this context or really in any context, I believe in New Testament speaking, you'd see this word, this hope of heaven or this hope uh, of eternity. This is not some fingers crossed, I really, really want this to happen, wishful thinking type of hope. No, this is a confident assurance. This is a living hope as we just sang about. It's a guaranteed hope in eternity. You see, this congregation has believed in Jesus in the past. They've placed their faith in him. Now in the present, they're living out that belief, demonstrating that through their love for one another. And then in the future, there is a hope reserved for them in heaven. And Paul understands that eternal life is the reward guaranteed for those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. And for that, he is so thankful So, Paul was thankful not only for their faith in Christ, their love for all the saints, and their hope for eternity, but point number two, Paul was thankful for the impact of the gospel. Paul was thankful for the impact of the gospel. If you look at the second half of verse five, the sentence that begins with, you have already. So he says, you have already heard about this hope, In the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you, it is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and truly came to appreciate God's grace. You learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he's told us about your love in the Spirit. So Paul is now going to continue on with this idea of that hope that he knows that they have, Remember, he's talking about a reward in heaven. And he's going to bridge the idea between the reward that they will one day receive to where they received it and who brought it to them. See, that is the impact of the gospel. We'll see it right here, very plainly. When we accept and receive the good news of Jesus Christ, we place our faith in him alone for salvation. He becomes the Lord of our lives, the savior of our souls. We, in that moment, in that exact moment, are promised an inheritance of eternal life to come. That's our hope. That's our reward in heaven. We've received it then, like when I was 14, I received that then, but I will also one day receive it in full. See, we live in this already but not yet state as believers in Christ, but know this, it is a guarantee for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. I can show you a verse uh, that will will, uh, prove this. Luke chapter 23, where Jesus is hanging on the cross, two criminals on either side of him, one criminal on either side of him. There's two total. Uh, uh, in verse 39, one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at Jesus. He said, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. He's, he's, he's mocking him, but the other answered, rebuking the guy mocking Jesus. Don't you even fear God since you were undergoing the same punishment? See, we are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did, but this man has done nothing wrong. This guy understands the gospel without ever having heard the gospel. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what does Jesus say to him? This is proof of what we are talking about here. He says, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. See, it was a guarantee in that moment. And yet that criminal had not yet died. But it was a guarantee that he would one day be with Jesus in paradise. And guess what? That was going to be the day. And the same is true for us. So where does this reward then come from? See, without looking back at verses seven and eight, uh, this reward that Paul is so thankful they've received, this faith that leads to this love that produces this hope that we've been talking about, all of this begins with the message of the gospel. See, Paul says, this hope you have, I'm so grateful that you have it. And listen, where did it come from? the word of truth that you heard. It came from the gospel message. There is an assumption here between Paul and his readers in uh, the Colossian church that they know exactly what he means when he says the word gospel, that Jesus died for the sins of men and that eternal life is promised to those who place their faith in him. Did you happen to catch too what he refers to the gospel as? He calls it the word of truth. See, we haven't yet really been introduced to this. I kind of gave you uh, a sneak peek, but we haven't been really introduced to to what end this letter had been written. We're looking at the introduction of it. Um, but if you read through the entirety of this letter in one sitting, which I highly recommend you do, maybe even do it uh, every week before we, we come here on Sundays because it's a short letter, but reading a letter in its entirety just kind of helps you give the, get, gain the fuller context. But doing that plus a little bit of biblical research, research will show that the Colossian church was being infiltrated with false teachings on top of the gospel that they have already received, believed, accepted, and are living out and seeing fruit from. And these false teachings are have the potential to lead them away from the simple message of the gospel. That's the problem. And so what Paul is here to remind them, he's here to remind them of the solution to that problem. A solution they've already been introduced to, that they've already received, which is the gospel message, the word of truth. See these other words that are coming to you; these are not true, or they are half truths, or they are from uh, human human minds, or, or or they've been made up. Listen, you've already received the word of truth, and that is the gospel, for which there is no other. Paul is grateful then for the gospel message, but specifically. To this group of individuals in Colossae, Paul is thankful for the impact of that gospel message. I mean, I don't know if you saw it, but look at what the gospel was doing in and throughout that church. As well as the surrounding regions. And look at verse 6. See, the gospel, he says, that has come to you, it's bearing fruit and what? It's growing all over the world just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. Listen, they weren't alone in this. This was not a unique church. The gospel has been impacting everybody around them. Many have come to receive this this good news that produces this faith and love and hope of eternal life. There is so much evidence of gospel impact within this church family, and this is what makes Paul Open this letter with such gratitude and a spirit of thankfulness because he's seeing and he's hearing report back about the impact of that gospel. And I absolutely love this. But before we look back at verse, I believe I said this before, it was actually verse five. But before we look back at verses seven and eight specifically, I want to ask this Who delivered the gospel message to the Colossian church? Was it Paul? Paul's in prison. Who does he say delivered? If you read verse 7, he said, You learned this from who? Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. See, Paul was writing in response to hearing about this church's progress in the faith. Paul didn't start this church. As a matter of fact, it's believed he never even met these believers. I mean, if it, we'll see later on that many of whom Paul was writing to, it's, he says he's not yet seen them face to face. And if you, based on some historical dating and and timing of Paul's imprisonment, imprisonment and eventually his death, it's it's possible he never met these believers this this church once. He never met them in, in person. This letter is the only evidence that we have today of any contact that he directly had with them. So all the other gospel ministry that happened in and throughout this church must have happened to this man named Epaphras. And Paul reminds them in his prayer of thanksgiving that this gospel message, hey, you heard it from Epaphras, my fellow servant and faithful minister of Christ. Uh, chapter 4, verse 12 and 13 tells us that Epaphras was actually a native to that city. And not only that, he also got the message out to neighboring towns of Areopolis and Laodicea. This man was on fire for the gospel. You saw the impact of the gospel in his life, clearly through his impact of the gospel when he brought it to the Colossian church, he brought it to Areopolis, he brought it to Laodicea. Now, I don't know the exact history of Epaphras, uh, but perhaps maybe he heard the gospel himself when Paul was in Ephesus, because in Acts chapter 19, verse 10, it tells us that while Paul was teaching in the lecture lecture hall of Tyrannus, all the residents of Asia, heard the word of the Lord. All of them. Maybe Epaphras was one of those people. And it would not be surprising to me that if some of the people from Colossae were there, heard the gospel of that time, including Epaphras, who then took that message that impacted his life back to his hometown, and now it's spreading like wildfire in that area. Why why say this? Because this is the impact of the gospel message. And I want to ask you, are you thankful for the impact of the gospel in your life? Has it impacted your life the way it impacted Epaphras, where... Uh, As we just sang a couple moments ago, hearts that know mercy cannot stay silent. Listen, Epaphras heard this message and he's like, I gotta go back and tell everybody in my hometown about this good news of this man, Jesus Christ, who died for my sins and offers us eternal life through faith in him. That's the impact of the gospel. Not only that, I want you to ask this question Are you thankful for the impact of the gospel in the person's life whom you first heard the gospel? See, when I was 14 and I was at a youth conference, a youth conference I didn't even want to go to, I've told this story a couple of times, I was just there for the free food. Uh, There was a pastor there, and I cannot for the life of me remember the pastor's name, but he presented the gospel clearly, and I ran to the altar and got saved. And I thank God for that man. I don't know his name. God knows who he is. God knows he was a faithful minister. He was a faithful uh, minister uh, of Christ on my behalf and he presented the gospel to me, and I'm thankful for the impact of the gospel in that man's life whenever he got saved so that he grew up, became a pastor, went to a youth conference, preached the gospel so that I could receive Christ. And what about the person who impacted him with the gospel that impacted them, and so on and so forth? This is the impact of the gospel, something that we, like Paul, should be very thankful for. Thirdly and lastly, well, lastly kind of, because then there's an application point. Paul asked, so not only was he thankful for certain things, he also asked for continued spiritual growth and endurance. Paul asked for continued spiritual growth and endurance. Look back at verse 9. So for this reason also. Since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. He's already said that, but man, he's just letting them know. We can't stop praying for you because we're just seeing all of the things that are happening. And, and I'm hearing report of all, as I sit in prison in Rome, with no food, probably getting beaten every other day. Listen, I'm hearing report about what's happening to you guys and I can't help but give thanks to God. Also, I'm going to ask this. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, verse 10, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have greater endurance and patience. And then your response to that is joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. So in light of this congregation's already and present spiritual condition, the fact that they did have faith in Christ, they were loving the church well, they have accepted and have been impacted by the gospel, Paul, in addition to that... Praise for continued spiritual growth. He doesn't treat them like they've arrived. Yes, you're doing all of these great things. Good for you. Hey, Epaphras, you might want to move on to the next thing because these people are done here. They've arrived. No, I want to pray that you would continue in your spiritual walk with Christ. Verse nine, for this reason, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you for these reasons. This is a prayer of continued growth because they're already growing in the Lord. It's in response to the report that he heard from Epaphras. So how does Paul go about doing this then? Let's just take it really quick, uh, uh, section by section, and then we'll be done. He asked that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. See, they're already exhibiting faith and love and And hope is a body of believers. And Paul prays that, listen, God would add to that a specific kind of knowledge. A knowledge of God's will. Remember, these churches, when we read these letters from Paul to these churches, these churches, they do not have what we have in terms of the New Testament writings, the New Testament canon. They don't have the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They don't have uh, Acts. They don't have the other letters that Paul may or may not have written yet to other churches. They don't have Revelation. They don't get a sneak peek at what John got a sneak peek at the end. They don't have any of that. What they have is the gospel message and whatever continued teaching, possibly that Epaphras continued to teach them. They have this letter from the Apostle Paul, and that's it. That's all this church has to work with. And so what does Paul do? His prayer is that they receive the special, special knowledge needed to understand then the things of God. Do you realize what we have here? This is what Paul was praying that they would have. Special knowledge of God's will with all spiritual understanding and wisdom. He was praying that they would know God's will. You want to know God's will? You might walk around saying like, man, I just want to know God's will for my life. Read this. This is God's will for your life. It's in there very clearly. And why does he pray that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will with all spiritual understanding and wisdom? Why did he ask that? He says, so that they may walk worthy of the Lord. That they can live out a good Christian life that is fully pleasing to God, that is bearing fruit in every good work that they put forth, that they continue to grow in the knowledge of the Lord, being strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might so that they might have endurance and patience because guess what? Persecution will come. False doctrines will come. Uh, Doubt and frustration and stress and life will just come at you full force. So you need endurance and patience but in response to all of that as you persevere you can joyfully then give thanks to God our father who has who has enabled us in the first place to even share in this inheritance to begin with this was Paul's prayer for the Colossian church and this is my prayer here for us at Redemption Church see I want us to be a people who have first and foremost above all else placed their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation and no other thing but I want us to be a people also who love God's church. That's why I love that Christian was here this morning and talking about the work that's being done across the globe in Indonesia, because listen, we're not only seeing uh, the love that we can have for our community here, but we're seeing the love and the impact that the gospel can have in other countries, other countries that don't even have the Bible in their language, and yet we are able to partner with someone who wants to bring that to them. So I want us to be a people who love God's church, not just here, but around the world, and I want us to be a people who have been and will be continually impacted by the gospel. Listen, the gospel impact in your life should not just be a single one-time event where, yes, I was saved, I believed the gospel, and No, the gospel should have a daily impact in your life. Preach it to yourself on a regular basis as you study God's word, as you sing worship songs, as you go about your life, reminding yourself constantly uh, what Ephesians 2 says, that we were dead in our trespasses and sin, but God, who is rich in mercy and love, made us alive in Christ. Like you, what I was saying this morning, right before I started preaching this, like I I shouldn't be here. I could be anywhere else. And yet God has made me alive in Christ. Not only that, he's called me to pastoral ministry and he's enabled me to, and given me this amazing privilege to be able to preach and teach his word. Like wherever you're at in life, preach the gospel to yourself on a regular basis. Allow it to have an impact in your life just as much today as it did the first time you ever heard it. And so my final question in closing is this. This is the application point on your handout. If someone were to pray for you right now, is there any reason to be thankful? If someone were to pray for you right now, is there any reason to be thankful? And this is not a puff ourselves up uh, type of question. This is not a, if someone were to pray, of course. Have you met me? Of course there's reasons to be thankful. Have you, I mean, just be around me for five seconds. Some of you are probably like, there's reasons to pray for you, not be thankful for you. But no, this is, this is not a puff ourselves up type question. This is an introspection. This is a look inward. And, and what, I, I don't like questions like this, Because this is the first question that came to me as I was reading this passage. was, wow, if Paul was writing this letter to me, would he be as thankful for for the growth that I've had in my life? And so I wanna ask you that, but a question like this requires us to be honest and vulnerable with ourselves. And we don't like that. So if someone were to pray for you right now, is there any reason to be thankful for your faith in Christ, his love for his church, for the clear and evident impact of the gospel in your life on an ongoing basis, how about are you continuing to grow spiritually? Is there any reason to be thankful for the work God is doing in and throughout your life? Would you pray with me God, I thank you so much for this opportunity. I thank you for the truth of your word I thank you for um, I thank you for the gospel God as we sometimes we We get so distracted by life, even Christian life, doing the Christian things, going to church, uh, being involved in ministries, uh, discipling other people. And sometimes we lose sight of all of it and sometimes we just need to strip all that back, come back to the reality of, listen, we are so thankful for the impact of the gospel in our lives. Allow us to ask this question this morning to ourselves. First off, have we placed our faith in none other than Jesus Christ? I pray that if there's anybody here that hasn't done that, Lord, that you would convict them with your Holy Spirit. Draw them to yourself for your glory. But God, even what's more, let's let's ask ourselves, what's what's our relationship like with with your bride, with the church? Do we love the church? Do we have a love for all the saints, not only locally, but around the world? God, if we struggle in that area, help us with that. Father, remind us of the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the promise, the guaranteed security of eternal life in your son, Jesus Christ. God, allow us to just have a spirit of gratitude here this morning for ourselves, for our fellow believers and brothers and sisters in Christ as we lift up worship to you for the remainder of the service. Lord, Lord, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name.